Hello, you are now in Carl's Orbit, where interesting people are interviewed in terms of who they are, what they do, and how they do it. In our podcast, we'll be revisiting the Christmas star of Bethlehem with our guest, Lonnie Bunis, educator, lecturer, instructional designer, former planetarium director, also freelance writer and space artist. Welcome to Carl's Orbit, Lonnie. Thank you, Carl. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you hear me clearly? Oh, yes, definitely. And uh, so uh, uh, what are your thoughts about the identity of the Christmas star? Well, that, this is a topic that's been much written about by astronomers and other people. And if you go, I, as I did, on Amazon.com and look, you'll see there are several books on the topic. I believe you've interviewed uh, one of the authors of one of those books. But um, today, I'm pulling my material from an older edition, a book uh, called The Star of Bethlehem, An Astronomer's Confirmation by David W. Hughes, an astronomer. This was written in 1979, published by Pocket Books. He, um, he, uh, ha he proposes uh, a, an explanation for Star of Bethlehem that is not purely astronomical, like one that I read about in Sky and Telescope magazine years ago, yeah. in conjunction of two planets, Venus and Jupiter. Um, the, the conjunction of Venus and Jupiter in 2 BC was extraordinary because the two planets were so close that when they were setting, the Earth's atmosphere would have blurred them into a single bright star, an extraordinary event. Ah. So that, uh, that was favored by one astronomer years ago, but it does not fit the narrative of the Bible and uh, history, archaeology, and a host of other criteria that David Hughes in his book uh, explores thoroughly. Oh. So we can, we can talk about that today if you like. Oh, sure. Uh, as a matter of fact, are, are we sort of uh, uh, focusing and directing our attention to the possibility that the Christmas star may have in fact been a planet or a series of planets? Yeah, actually, uh, Hughes makes an interesting point in his conclusion. He says there are three possible explanations. It could have been an actual physical object that you could explain by science or nature. It, number two, it could be a, a miracle, an invention of God for his own specific purposes. Or three, it was a midrash, a literary invention. The author, Matthew, who described the star, the only one in the Bible who did, making up the appearance of the star to convince his audience that Jesus was the Messiah. And Hughes makes a, a very good argument that the only explanation that makes sense would be a physical object because a miracle, he wouldn't rule out a miracle. He had no objection to the religious aspect at all. But he said, why would you need a miracle if a natural phenomenon could explain it perfectly as well? Ah, okay. All right. And even at that, it could introduce the religious aspect in the sense of uh, some divine being uh, using uh, natural laws of uh, the universe to do whatever has to be done. That You know, that's a point that I, I don't often hear made by uh, scientists. Of course, you could say, well, that was God's plan all along. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we have a choice here, huh? Yeah. Also, thirdly, Hughes points out that the account made by Matthew 
um, which was early on, not long after the death of Jesus Christ, uh, is is probably the most accurate because it is so simple. His his uh, as Hughes says, his nativity reads like a simple tale well told. It has the ring of truth. It's mm. simple and it's unembellished. If you look later on, what happened centuries after Christ's death was people embellished the story. They added the number of kings visiting the the, the, the newborn child their names, their gifts, where they came from, all that was not described accurately or, or at all by Matthew. Ah, okay. Yeah, because in fact, the exact quote was, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, quote, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And ah, okay. There's enough clues in there, according to David Yu's book, that you can deduce that the what the star Bethlehem probably was was a conjunction of planets that happened three times. It's um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I suppose what uh, at that time everything was a star <laughs> up mm. in the sky at night. Right, a comet was a hairy star. A, a, a meteor was a falling star. So in terms of how they, the terminology of the times, um, a, a conjunction of planets would have been called a star. That was a very common term. Yeah, yeah. And uh, special events, extraordinary nope. events. The people who came to visit the child were magicians or astrologers. That's what the word magi actually meant. It comes from Greek magoi, magoi. And they... Uh, would have predicted this event way in advance from uh, from biblical uh, from Old Testament prophecies. Oh, so they had to be very careful and, and uh, uh, fastidious followers of what was going on in the heavens, involving planets and stars and so on and so forth. Correct, and that that is the art of astrology, not a science. We consider that to be more an art. But, but the people who practiced it had to have precise measurements of the positions of the wandering stars, the planets, ah. to, be able, to be able to predict where they would be far in the future. Yeah, they, yeah. Comp- Babylonian and Persian astronomers or astrologers were very accomplished at this. Now, how would the planets then uh, uh, produce the effect in the sky in terms of the uh, st- uh, the Christmas star uh, apparently stopping and then moving again, and maybe even uh, even stopping uh, again and moving to the sky in that fashion, where it does seem to stop at any rate. Correct, right? This is something astronomers call retrograde motion of planets. It's because the Earth is moving around the sun faster, being closer. It feels a stronger pull of gravity. It moves more quickly. The farther you go away from the sun, planets move slower. So the ancients knew that Saturn was a regal, slow-moving king of the gods to the Greeks. Uh, the Jews also uh, considered it to be a righteous, uh, the, the symbol of righteousness, bequeathing something to the sun. Jupiter moving more quickly. Uh, Jupiter was, let's see, uh, Jupiter moving more slowly would have been um, important in Jewish astrology or to the Jews as the um, Sedek, 
associated with righteousness and Saturn was the star of justice and right. And because the Earth is moving faster, it would overtake these planets and make them look like they were going backwards. Everything in the sky, the planets move from west to east, but sometimes they would look like they're going backwards because the Earth would overtake them. And so the Magi predicted that this would happen more than once. The only thing that did that more than once over a period of months was something called a triple conjunction of the leading planets Jupiter and Saturn in a very significant constellation, the water constellation Pisces. Ah, and why, and uh, uh, what significance did that have? Well, think about the Moses legend. Moses was discovered on the river, on water. So to the Jews, water was very important. And the watery sign Pisces was extremely important. A meeting of Jupiter and Saturn in Pisces takes place only every few hundreds of years. Ah, uh. could have predicted that and expected it. And so if they set out on their journey in May of uh, six, uh, I'm sorry, seven BC, Remember, BC is before Christ, so we go, we count backwards. Yeah, yeah. 765. So 7 BC, May, they could have set out when they saw the first meeting. They could have rejoiced exceedingly, as it says in the Bible, when they recaptured the appearance of the second meeting of the planets in September of 7 BC. And then the two planets would have moved apart quickly in early 6 BC, when the planet Mars joined them to form a triangle of three planets, an extraordinary event. Oh, yeah. He he tries to time this to geographical travels of the Magi through routes that are still used in the Middle East and the timing of the events in the Bible. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, Did uh, uh, the information also involve setting up some kind of computer simulation of how the sky was at that time? You know, uh, the listening audience can do this at home with free apps. Oh, really? And how is that? Uh, Either that? mobile or online, Stellarium.org. Stellarium is a simulator, a sky simulator. You can go back in time and set the planets to move, or if you go back to 6 BC May and run it forward faster than normal time, you can watch the triple conjunction. Oh, hey, that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, anybody can do it. You can even do it on your phone with Stellarium, the free version. Ah, and what else have you come across in your your uh, looking up information about the identity of the Christmas star? Well, um, th- there's so much in in this book, The Star of Bethlehem, by David Hughes, that it's really you could spend hours really discussing it in detail. How careful he was in providing references. Uh, the only book that compares with it that I've read recently is a wonderful uh, bestseller, Why We Sleep, which has references on every page. But Hughes takes seven different criteria that I can find to corroborate his idea that the Star of Bethlehem was a triple conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Biblical, historical, religious, terminology, astrological, astronomical, and geographical. Oh, that's, so, pretty, that's pretty complete. <laughs> we could talk about this for hours, but I, I know we don't have a lot of time. One, one interesting thing is Magi, which does not necessarily mean only wise men, but the Magi were a group of uh, a group going back centuries before Christ who became the Zoroastrian priests. Um, they um, they actually had a, a little revolt, but they were still around at the time of Christ. 
and considered to be wise men who could predict the future. Why? Because they could predict the position of planets. Ah, oh, I see. I see. Yeah. yeah. So exactly what uh, what planets were were involved in uh, uh, creating this this apparition in the sky? Well, there there were astrological charts drawn of Jesus Christ as early as hundreds of years ago. In fact, a few hundred years after Christ, they drew up his astrological chart. And because um, Mars and Uranus were in a helically rising house, and Jupiter and Saturn in an acronical house, in all astrological terms that I we don't have time to explain, uh, this was considered to be a significant event to predict the coming of someone, not only a leader and a king, but a messiah. Oh, okay. That, uh... If you look at the astrological interpretation, it dovetails with the astronomical, it dovetails with the religious or Jewish traditions. It's really incredible how all this stuff has to come together. Even consider, Carl, consider timing. Um, the 2 BC grouping of, of Jupiter and Venus couldn't have been the right time because the Roman census was 8 BC and Herod died uh, or late 5 or early 4 BC. So we know that Christ had to have been born between those two events, according not, to uh, and according to archaeology. Hey, that heliacal rising, uh, that is also used in astronomy, not only astrology, but astronomy, and is an important kind of a marker in the sky for a lot of civilizations, and may also apply to uh, uh, providing the identity of the Christmas star. What is heliacal rising? That's the first appearance near the sun as the sun sets of the new grouping of the conjunction. And that's, that's extremely important. That might have set the Magi on their journey. But even more important, September 15th, the acronical rising was what they were looking for. And that would have marked the actual birth of the Savior. Why? Because um, if you look at the original Aramaic, which is what, what Jesus spoke, Aramaic, and Greek translations way back before the King James Version of the Bible, uh, the wise men or the Magi did not say we have seen a star in the east. What they said was we have seen his star ente anatolu, which means rising chronically, which means rising in the east as the sun sets, high in the sky directly overhead, overhead the manger, overhead the Christ child at midnight, and setting only when the sun rose again in the east. So, in other words, the new star, the conjunction, dominated the sky all night long. Ah, I see. see. So, even more important than the helical rising was the acronical rising, and that is lost in the modern translations. We have seen a star in the east is an oversimplification. Ah, okay. Yeah, to make it, uh, I suppose, easy enough to understand by anybody who reads information about that. Right. And so you have to go back. Sometimes you have to go back and see what what did Christ actually say in the original language? What did the ancient Greek translation say? Because they were close in time. The uh, the scholars wrote in Greek and they jotted this down shortly, not well shortly, within a generation of Christ's death. Now, is it possible for you to trace the uh, actual events that occurred in terms of all these uh, conjunctions and things of that nature involving the planets to uh, the final appearance of it over Bethlehem? 
Well, well, we can trace, as used does, the actual geographical routes that the Magi might have taken, since they were most probably Babylonian or Persian astrologers. They would have taken an oasis route, not the shortest route, 550 miles across bare desert. That would be foolish. They would go a longer route to from oasis to oasis. Ah. That timing could have been done at a leisurely pace over months, which dovetails beautifully with the appearance of the first conjunction in May of 6 BC, with the second conjunction September 15th of 6 BC, which uh, David Hughes believes actually pinpoints the exact birth date of Christ. He says most likely September in September 15th in 6 BC. Now, if you think about the climate of the time, here's another one, weather, Carl. God. What was the weather like about when shepherds were tending their flocks? Yes, that's a good question. We sing about that, right? In a Christmas carol? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, most uh, modern argument is, well, they could, that couldn't have happened because if it happened December 25th, uh, they wouldn't be out in the, the, the fields. It'd be too cold. Well, it turns out September 15th, the weather in Jerusalem is mild, and the shepherds would have been out with their flocks. Ah, okay, okay. So then uh, the date was set uh, uh, to provide convenience for uh, celebrating it at a certain time of the year, I suppose, by incorporating as many people as possible into it. Right. It's well known that because of Roman persecution, the early Christians celebrated the birth of Christ later during the Saturnalia, the returning of the sun. Uh, we, we know the solstice just happened recently, the 20, uh, I'm sorry, will happen soon, the 21st of December. The sun is at the lowest point in the sky. But the ancients noticed that it was coming back a few days later, December 25th. So they celebrated, and the early Christians, to protect themselves, disguised the celebration of Christ's birth with the pagan holiday, the 25th. Ah. Now, is it possible to uh, give a number of how many conjunctions took place among the planets and in what uh, sequence uh, and uh, their identity? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it would have been um, May, the first coming together. The planets would move apart. They were never more than about four degrees apart, all told, which is about eight times the size of the full moon. Now, which planets? Were, uh, Jupiter and Saturn. Okay. And... Uh, uh, can you follow through with the sequence uh, until the final appearance over Bethlehem? Uh, sure. The, the, the Magi would have expected this to start happening. So they noticed by the end of May that the two planets were coming together, that they should set out on their journey of anywhere from 700 to 900 miles. Now, if you were uh, a good camel driver in those days, you could easily cover 30 miles in a day. So this was not a difficult journey. And uh, if they took it at a leisurely pace, oasis to oasis, it, uh, it, it would have been a trade route that was well established. They could have easily prepared within a couple of weeks and then set out uh, the end of May. Ah, so and the first it, conjunction was with what planets? Uh, two planets, I think? Uh, the, this is a triple conjunction. So oh, triple. Three, three times Jupiter and Saturn. Oh, Jupiter and Saturn. Moving okay. Together, moving apart slightly, coming together again. Months later in September, moving apart, coming again for the last time in November, and then moving apart to join up with the planet Mars February of the next year, 7 BC. So this sequence gives the Magi time, months, to travel between May and September to see that, aha, 
they notice that second conjunction marks the birth of the child. A few weeks later, a couple weeks later, they arrive at King Herod in Jerusalem, and they say, where is the child? We've seen the star. Now, Herod is completely taken by surprise. Why? Why did he say, what, what is this star? Where, where, when did this happen? When was he born? He wouldn't have known because he wasn't an astrologer. He wouldn't have been watching for an extraordinary quote-unquote star ah. as the Magi would. And so the Magi set out to Bethlehem, which was only a, a short walk away, right? Achieving that within days. Oh, no, actually, hours? It, it was fairly close. And so they would have inquired house to house, where is the Christ child? Where is the Savior? Uh, they could have found him and paid their respects. And then instead of going back to Herod, who uh, was adverse to a new king being born to challenge him, he would have had all those children under the age of two killed for safety. The wise men went back by a different route. We know that. And uh, they, they then saw the planets moving apart the last time in November. Oh, hey, that's quite interesting. So, yeah. so in uh, in kind of summarizing it, you would say then that the Christmas star of Bethlehem was, uh, or could have been, we'll put it that way, could have been uh, a natural kind of an event involving the conjunction of uh, initially uh, two planets, Jupiter and uh, uh, Saturn, and again Jupiter and Saturn. And then finally, a conjunction of three planets, Jupiter, yeah. Saturn, and Mars, huh? Signaling the end of the miraculous event. Now, you know, could it have been a miracle? Well, sure. We will never have uh, an accurate uh, accounting of the history greatly detailed. But, but uh, Hughes asks, if we can explain it naturally, then why not apply that explanation? And his, his explanation was applied uh, at the Hayden Planet, the old Hayden Planetarium in the 60s, where I saw a show about the Star of Bethlehem. And then a few months later, I, I read about it in Sky and Telescope magazine with my brand new subscription, uh, as, uh, as which I got as a teenager. So I've known about this for a long time. I, I caught up with the book in the 1980s. Um, we're still discussing it here 50 years later. And, uh, and what do we conclude from that? That I am old. <laughs> oh, Lonnie, let me ask you. Uh, as a former director of the planetarium at Raritan Valley Community College, did you ever make this presentation of the Christmas star? Actually, I, I was not director there. I was an assistant director. But before that, I directed Trailside Planetarium at the Wachung Reservation. And I did indeed program the equipment to display the triple conjunction. And it accurately reproduced all four meetings, Jupiter-Saturn, 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 and then Jupiter, Saturn, Mars. Ah, okay. Hey, that's interesting. The tricky part was resetting the mechanical equipment to do that if I was doing two shows in a row. And that was hair-raising because I had to run the machine backwards a whole year. <coughs> Exciting. Yeah, and it wasn't the updated type of, <laughs> of a device that we now see in planetariums, a digital running device. Right. Yeah, this was electromechanical with gears and wires. Yeah, right. So I imagine it took a lot more preparation and knowledge about how to do it with that well, kind of know, instrument. You know, Carl, nowadays anybody can do this with an app. So anyone go go get the Stellarium app or Skyview or any one of several dozen 
sky apps and you can simulate the sky from 6 BC. Go to 6 BC May and run it forward, see what happens. Now you're a space artist as well. Uh, how can people uh, look at your art? Uh, my artwork and animation work and virtual reality planets you can play with uh, with your fingers or a mouse are on my website astronomyinmotion.com that's all one long string of letters astronomy in motion oh now now have you introduced anything to that website recently um, I'll be I will be adding uh, a, a link to a new website that lets you play with the planet Mars. I'm going to sell a model of the planet Mars that which has linked videos that talk about the different features in all 28 landing sites, even the one that hasn't happened yet in the year 2023. And that will be inexpensive and it will be called MarsAtYourFingertips.com. Oh, okay. And uh, also you're, you're a freelance writer. Uh, uh, what are you doing now in that area? I've um, published a book, uh, Space History Mystery Solved, available on every bookstore everywhere. It's an e-book, and you can use your fingers to explore the Moon, Mercury, and Mars with virtual reality models. I've also uh, written science fiction novel first in a series, unpublished, and I'm working on the second book in the series. Getting ahead of myself, I have to see if I can get that published as soon as possible. Great. That would be interesting to uh, look up, as a matter of fact. Well, uh, thank you for being a guest on uh, In Carl's Orbit and talking about the identity of the Christmas star, revisiting the identity of the Christmas star of Bethlehem. That's quite interesting. Well, um, I, want to thank, I want to thank you, Carl, for being my teacher who got me interested in uh, science and astronomy and uh, causing all these problems. <laughs> I was going to say thank you, but on second thought, no, 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 thank you. I appreciate that little plug. Thank you for the inspiration. Oh, thank you. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, in the meantime, uh, our guest has been Lonnie Bunis. And uh, you heard already what uh, he's been doing and what he has been doing what he's done in the past, talking about the identity of the Christmas star of Bethlehem. Thank you again, Lonnie, for being in Carl's Orbit. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Carl. And thank you, everyone, for listening into Carl's Orbit and uh, thinking about joining us again in the future. <laughs>